funny thing is, it's like, at what point do you bring value? Because, you know, if I sit, you hire people to do something better than you can do it. And it's like, well, if I don't know anything about it, I can flip a coin and be right half the time. So if you can do 51%, you're better than I can do flipping a coin. Now, I expect you to be better than 51%, but I don't expect anybody to be 100% because no one's perfect and the rules always change. So, you know, just let's, let's work in that area of how you can bring value and understand it doesn't have to be defined as perfection and you can still grow and especially if you're not just labeling yourself you know as i'm the best at whatever you know you're gonna have fun and your career is just gonna get better and better and bigger and bigger welcome to captivate the room with your host internationally known voice expert tracy goodwin an award-winning speaker who has taught hundreds around the globe to make a big impact with their voice This podcast is for anyone who wants to step onto a bigger stage, make a bigger impact, and have a voice that makes people listen. Presentation matters, and the voice is the missing link. Join in and you'll see why. Welcome to the podcast. So glad to have you with me today, as always. And I've got a great episode for you today. Today, my friend, Bill Tubal is coming on the show and we're going to be talking about an amazing book and he is packing this episode with so many so many great nuggets. I don't know if you've read the book Mindset by Carol Dweck, but if you haven't, you really want to read this book. And this is what we're going to be talking about. You know, Bill turned me on to this book a couple of years ago. He reached out and asked me if I'd read the book, and I had not. I had not heard of it. The book had been out a while and read the book and was absolutely fascinated with it, for one thing, but stunned at how aligned it was with the way I coach voices in relation to resistance, in relation to malleability when it comes to the work that I do. And I shared that with Bill, and we've had so many great conversations about it. We He co-leads some of the groups over at True North Insurance with me, and it's always a joy to have him co-lead them with me. And the book always comes up, and we always have these great discussions. And I've been meaning to have Bill on the show for quite a while. He's been on the list. And the other day, we were teaching a group together. And we brought the book up and started talking about it. And I thought, oh my gosh, how perfect to have him come on the show and we could talk about the book. He is far more knowledgeable with the book than I am. I really want to reread it because it is so good. I think it'll be like a movie that you watch two times the second time you read it. Bill is such a joy and he brings so much knowledge around this concept of fixed and growth mindset. You're going to learn a lot. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He's got over 20 years of financial, strategic leadership, and management in varying industries such as public accounting, government contracts, data management, avionics, and insurance. Bill is responsible for overall financial management of the company True North Insurance, its financial reporting and transparency, as well as long-range planning and corporate and strategic development. Bill is involved in many professional associations, including 
American Association of Certified Public Accountants, Marsh Berry, and the Barand Networking Group. He serves on the advisory board for Rough Notes, Kaplan University, and Big Brothers and Big Sisters. He graduated from the University of Iowa with a bachelor's degree in accounting and furthered his education by attending Colorado State University and achieved an MBA in management. He's also a certified public accountant. I know you are going to really enjoy this episode. So let's head on over to the show. Bill, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you with me today. Well, thank you, Tracy. It's an honor. I always enjoy talking with you. Well, you know, I've had you on my list for a while. I don't know if you knew that or not, but you were on my list to get you on the show because I knew this would be an amazing conversation for my listeners. But the other day, the timing, I believe in timing, and the timing was just so perfect when we were in that group and we were talking about mindset. And that was the the very moment where it made perfect sense, get you on the show so we can talk specifically about this book. Good. Now, we can talk about anything you want, but I want to talk about the book. Now, I think it's incredibly appropriate because, you know, I brought the book into your consciousness because I think so much of what you do is so consistent with the messages of the book. And I think there's great benefit to both. And if they can be aligned, there's probably even more kind of reinforcing benefit. Definitely. So just like I mentioned in the intro, We are talking about this amazing book called Mindset by Carol S. Dweck, PhD. If you have not read it, I know y'all have heard me talk about it before, but if you have not read it, rush out and get it right now. And we're going to talk about this book. I, Bill said to me one time, he said, hey, have you read this book a couple of years ago? And I said, no, I've never heard of it. Read the book and I was stunned at how the things that I see and I use verbiage of of my verbiage were in this book. And that's what we're going to, we're going to talk about that. I want to back up for just a minute and find out, did you just stumble across the book? How did you find out about the book? You know, I was just thinking that when you were talking a few seconds ago, I believe the first thing is I can't believe it's been out that long because I'd not heard of it either. I mean, it was I just turned to the page, the the copyright page, and it's like 2003, 2006, 2016. So it's been around almost 20 years. I think I stumbled across it in a Seth Godin blog. You know, every so often he talks about books that he thinks are impactful and gives a little blurb on each. And I think I read about it there and thought, wow, this looks really interesting. And I have a book club and we read it and everyone just loved it. And now it's... I mean, you can, it could help anyone, but I like to give it away to people that are kind of at the beginning of their careers or even in college just to, you know, hey, think about the way you think about things because it's going to be so valuable to see the world this way than the other way and, and, and this way and the other way. And her jargon are like a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. And obviously growth mindset is the more positive way. Yeah. And we're going to break this down for y'all. And I think you're going to be blown away. As I was thinking about this interview, I I thought, I wonder if, did you realize this fixed and growth, but maybe just didn't have the labels for it? Or was it just brand new for you? It was, 
it was completely brand new for me. And it, it, it's funny and kind of sad almost that I realized after reading the book, I, I have four kids, Tracy, and I raised my first kid in a fixed mindseted way. And I raised my next three in a growth mindseted way. And I didn't even know I was doing it. It was just a function of what was presented in front of me. And, and you know, one praises ability and the other praises effort. And so they, they kind of make the point that, you know, it, it's almost comical. I made it comical with my team. I would go out and there's, you know, my guys all sit next to each other in, in the finance area, the analyst area. And I'd, I'd make a point to go tell one, man, you're really smart. And tell the other one, man, you work really hard. And they were like confused and, you know, knew something was wrong and were wondering what I was doing. And to me, those both sounded like supreme compliments. But in this world, you know, one is reinforcing something that's more limiting. And the other is reinforcing something that has no boundaries. And, and to me, they were kind of the same thing. You know, you're smart or you work hard. Those are both good things. Well, it was that part of the book, and and I'll probably bring that back up again later, but it was that part of the book that I was a little devastated myself when I realized that how I had raised my son. And I would bet many, I bet that there's a larger percentage of people that have raised their kids that way because that's what we learned. That's what we modeled. Yeah. We modeled our parents saying, good job. And we modeled teachers in the school system saying things a certain way. But that was the hard, that was the hardest part of the book for me was to realize, oh, wow, I could have done this different. Yeah, because my oldest was kind of a natural at at sports, for example. And so she was always the best one, you know, and, and she always played with kids that were older. And, you know, she in high school was on all the varsity sports as a freshman and, you know, made all conference and all state and, and everyone told her, you know, you're the best, you have the best shot, you're the best this, you're the best that. And I think it came to a point, you know, it wasn't a conscious decision where she had to protect, you know, quote unquote, the best. And so it kind of limited her on being afraid to fail. And so she wasn't really interested in going to a larger school and she wasn't interested. She, I don't think she was able to ever realize her maximum potential and maybe it didn't want to be in that anyway, but she had to protect that brand, if you will. Whereas my next one, Will, who you've worked with, you know, he wasn't a special kid in middle school and he was kind of smallish and, but he, you know, he wanted to be with the kids that were the best. And so it was like, you, you praised his effort because he wasn't the best. And it's like, you know, way to work hard, way to hang in there, way to, you know, and it, he internalized that mentality and he carried it with him through high school. And then he was able to have a college career and he carries it through his work today. So not to say that my oldest, you know, doesn't carry great traits with her, but in especially the field of athletics, which is visible and, you know, praised more constantly she was praised in a way that probably wasn't as good for her long-term maximization as as he was and it was you know like I said it was completely by accident yeah and I wonder you know I just have one but as you were saying that I thought you know they historically tell me that by the time you get to the fourth you're tired (laughs) and it's that first one I mean I can look even in my own family my brother that is the oldest and man they were tough on him me, they were tired by the time. And so I wonder if it was just almost, it's almost by default yeah, that I, I, you shifted, you know? 
yeah, I told my youngest ones, I told them that very thing, you know, hey, I might have done this with with the first one, but with you guys, I'm just tired and we're not going to do that. And it's funny, you know, they're twins. So the first one got all of our attention. And then the next one got, you know, at least half of our attention. And since he was new, probably more than half. And by the time you have three and four, it's like you don't just have the energy or or even by a percentage basis, there's just not as much attention to go around. And and the funny thing is those two score the highest on like standardized tests. So it's like, well, you guys did better because we weren't around to screw you up. Oh, wow. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. That is so interesting. I, I think this whole thing is interesting. And and I I Bill and I bring this book up all the time. I love it when Bill is my my co-lead in my groups. He brings so much great stuff to the table. And this always comes up. And I know that you give this book to so many people and encourage so many people to read this book because it it literally is a game changer, if nothing else, in awareness. Yeah, I don't think I've shared this with you, Tracy. We have a group of interns that started today. There's like 15 or 16. And one of them was a late ad. And, and he's like the, the son of one of my best friends growing up. This gentleman remarried a woman who has three children. And, and the kid in number two was a freshman in college. And he, Tracy, my friend, asked me if I would go to lunch with his son and just kind of, you know, give him some advice. And, you know, that was basically the ask. So I had no idea what the conversation would be about. And so I brought a couple of, you know, younger people here that are having success. I brought Angela and Garrett with me and I brought the book Mindset and I brought the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I decided, you know, in this meeting that I would leave these two books with him if he seemed, you know, if he seemed interested himself versus, you know, his dad making him do something and checking a box. And he opened with an incredible opening. He said, you know, what I'm basically trying to do is I'm a business major and I live on Burge, a, a specific hall floor on Burge Hall at, at, at Iowa. And there's like 90 people that live on my floor and like half of them are business majors. And I'm doing absolutely nothing to separate myself from that group of 45 people. So I want to do things that are more than just go to class and memorize stuff. I want to learn how to, to develop, how to how to be more valuable to the marketplace, to myself, et cetera. You know, we had a really nice conversation, all four of us, and I gave him those two books. I said, you've earned these. Now, give me a call back. It's up to you whether or not we meet again. Give me a call back after you've read the books and we can talk about that. And so probably three, four weeks later, he called back and said, you know, I'm ready. I've read them both. And I really like this, that, and the other about Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And and it's like, well, I asked you to read Mindset first. Did you read that? He's like, oh, my God. This book like changed my life. He said, you know, it, and it's funny because he's one year out of high school and he he's talking about things like in eighth grade, this happened to me. And, you know, I just shut it out then, you know, because it was I, I took it as a failure. I didn't want to like take more chances there. And if I wouldn't have approached it that way, I can see now, you know, how it could have turned out, you know, over the next four years, it'll have been so much more enjoyable and I would have developed so much more in these areas and and I didn't even understand that was happening and I'm I've given the book to my younger brother who just finished seventh grade because I don't want him to make the same mistakes I made and it's like holy crap this is like the best answer yeah. everyone's ever given and it, it's a a guy that's 19 years old but you know that to your point the way we kind of approached our first child I wish to God I would have had this 
as I was raising mine before it started, because it's just such a great template. It's, it's got such great advice. You know, on the cover, it says parenting, business, school, relationship. I mean, it you can apply it in all those areas so successfully if you kind of have your your eyes open, your mind open to the possibilities. Definitely. And I think I think we tend to live in a little bit of a cookie cutter society. I see that in certain scenarios. And like you said, this, what makes me stand out? Yeah. Well, I don't know that we're necessarily, and I don't mean this is a criticism at all to college professors, but what are we doing to facilitate that? Right. Or is it, you know, I know when I work with younger people, they are adamant. No, I've got to get it right. Yeah. And I'm like, you can't get it wrong here. And they're like, no, but you don't understand. And yeah. so there's this rigidity that we're, so I love this story that you you say, and then he gave it to his seventh grade, but because I think that these kids are coming out of college with this death grip on, yeah. there's one way to do it and I got to get it right. Yeah. And it's reinforced, in my opinion, it's reinforced improperly. Like, I have another friend who's been a lifelong friend. I met him in college and he's got a son that's a, a baseball player at a junior college. And they're, they, you know, over the last few weeks figured out where he's going to go next into his four year career. And, and my friend, the dad was just so worried about the reputation of the school and the major that he picks. And I'm like, that doesn't matter. It, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, it, it maybe matters if you go to Harvard or Yale and you want to get a career with, you know, that consulting firm that just, hires people from places like that. But it, it, you know, all you have to do is get an interview and then what you bring to that interview, the way that you present yourself, you know, the, your, your attitude, your aptitude, your, your willingness to grow, your willingness to work, that, that matters so much more than the college you got your degree from or what your major is. And even within majors, like I, I get, I'm really frustrated with some schools that we work with because for example, in the finance discipline, they basically push all, and I don't know if it's within 10 or not, or if it's just the way that students hear it, but the only two careers that I hear from students that go to this university are basically, you know, sell financial strategies product or go work at an investment banker firm. And there's like 3 million careers oh, wow. that are all beautiful within the, you know, the middle of those two options. And those just don't get discussed for some reason. And when I was in school years and years and years ago, you know, so many years ago in accounting, it used to be the big eight instead of now it's the big four. And you weren't seen as, you know, quote unquote worthy unless you got interviews and got a job with a big eight firm. And having worked there, I worked there for like three years. It's like, why, you know, what was so special about this? It gives you some good experience, but there are, again, are just a ton of companies out there that could have given a probably more fulfilling experience. And it's just kind of that labeling, that mindset that it's how other people think you should be, you know, they are defining your success instead of you finding your success. And that, again, is kind of the difference between, you know, the fixed labeling mindset and the growth, you know, effort and actualization mindset. Well, and I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I went to, it's been a while since I read the book, I revisited it a little bit before we we're having this conversation. But if I remember right, a part of fixed is there's one way. It's this way. This is the only way. And if you don't do it this way, you've screwed it up. Yes, I think I think that's right. But I think part of fixed is you 
attach other people's definitions of success to yourself and you want to protect it. Yeah. And so like, there's some great stories in the book with young kids and older kids, you know, about where they would like give groups of, I think it was third graders, like the same puzzle, like an easy puzzle. And they would tell one group, you know, oh, wow, you're like the puzzle expert. You're a puzzle genius. You know, you're like the best person that's ever done puzzles. And they told the other group, wow, you work really hard. You can, you know, when you get stuck, that doesn't get you down. You can, you know, work towards the end to get to success. And there was separation, not only in the beginning, but kind of ongoing separation in this exercise in that the, you know, smart puzzle kids didn't want to not be seen as the smart puzzle kids. So they didn't want to do harder puzzles. And then the, the, I try anything puzzle kids were like, yeah, bring on a hard one, bring on a hard one, bring on a hard one. And so in the end, it's funny. It's like, you know, and they did this with different academic applications too. But in the end, like the group that was the growth mindset, of course, was a lot higher. But the group that was the fixed mindset in, you know, kind of every exercise like this that they did, and they probably wouldn't, it's probably not a great exercise to do. You know, it's probably not done really anymore. This, This other group, not only... I expected it got better by this much instead of this much, but they actually regressed because they became more and more afraid to try new things. And so they shut down. So it's, you know, yes, there is like a right way and a wrong way, but there's also a, I'm attaching that label to myself and I'm going to do everything to protect the label, including um, growth. You know, I don't want to take the risk of failing at anything because that might chip away at my label. Well, and not just label, worth. Worth becomes tied into it that all of this, I'm worthy or I'm not. And that to me is a huge tragedy that if I can't maintain this, I am have not maintained my worthiness. Yeah. The, the author has a great story about that, Tracy, that she said that, you know, all through her high school career, she loved math and she got 99s on everything, you know, every type of math and, you know, was on the math squad and, you know, just loved it, considered a career until she got a teacher that was like, girls aren't good at math. And, you know, she, to the point that she, like you said, she doubted herself and she like self-selected out of basically the STEM type careers that were completely available to her aptitude, but it was her her confidence, she let, you know, and she admits she was a fixed-minded person until she had these epiphanies um, academically and wrote the book, but that was enough to kind of derail her abilities. I mean, she had the abilities, but there's like a psychological element to it also, and, and it's funny because she talks about the difference in boys and girls, and I'm glad that there's so much emphasis on reinforcing, you know, careers for both sexes. And, you know, there's a big pushes on TV with STEM careers and stuff now, girls in STEM. One of my, you know, the, the four kids I have, the last two are twins and and each, the, both twins, the boy and the girl are both engineers. So, you know, she was comfortable. She was reinforced to pursue that and do it. But but in the book, she I, I took this note down that says that boys are kind of, I say naturally, but it's probably environmentally more prepared to take criticism like that because she said there's been studies about boys versus girls and boys are criticized eight times more in school than girls. And so they're used to dismissing it. You know, they're like, oh, you know, they, they do it to each other. So it's like, that's no big deal. Whereas a girl is typically told, you know, you're so pretty, you're so smart, you're so nice. And when they get 
criticized, you know, for the first time, whenever that is, it can kind of shake them to their core if they're not aware of how to protect themselves against that. And, and the author talks about, you know, being in college with the really good school, with the smartest of the smart. And when they ran into something like that, that, that type of criticism that was unwarranted, it, it just, you know, it shook them and they, it, it was hard to get over. So yeah, there is that element exactly. Yeah. I love all those examples. That puzzle story in the book was fascinating. Yeah. But even this girl boy thing, I mean, we're, we do that. There are societal implications around voice, girls' voices and, and, and boys' voices, too. And I love that you brought up the thing about, well, you look pretty. And because from a boy's perspective, by the time girls are 12, they have been inundated with say what you want, but don't upset anybody when you do it. Yeah. Well, nobody's saying that to boys and, and they don't have a problem speaking up in the boardroom. Yeah, exactly. Where, where girls labor over it. M- many yeah. women labor over, should I say it? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting, you know, this ties so closely back to your science that you have a similar story from, you know, your early school mm-hmm. years that, that kind of made you appreciate more where, you know, you are today. Maybe it was kind of a motivator of where you are today. And you, you were preaching the growth mindset versus fixed mindset without ever having been exposed to those definitions. Yeah, it's true. I hadn't thought about that. And I, I think that that experience was such a typical experience, especially people at my age range. I mean, I, I do know that young, many younger people feel like they were silenced or shouldn't say anything, but it was just the common thing in my generation. Children are to be seen and not heard. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and your board example, and it's kind of funny because, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting. Funny is probably not the right word. You know, a big, a big hurdle that many of the people in the groups that I've been on with you, and, and shoot, we've probably seen 50 to 100 people, Easy. you know, they, they, they're afraid to speak up. You know, the boardroom mm-hmm. example you gave earlier, and, it's, and you know, just in the last group we were in, it's like, well, you may have been around for three weeks, but you know more about IT than anybody else on this screen and anybody on the leadership team. So you need to speak up. We, we, we would love to hear from you and love to learn from you and love to reinforce what you can do with that knowledge. Yeah. And people get so so afraid. They get so intimidated. They get so, well, I don't know everything or I haven't done this forever or or who am I to say anything? And that's really the the what's behind that, I think, is I'm going to get it wrong. Yeah. Which goes back to fixed. I've, you know, it, yeah, yeah. that whole worth bucket, right? Yeah. Fixed versus growth. Growth, you can, you know, you can grow by being told you are a you know, you you work harder than everyone else. You never give up. You can also grow by understanding that you made a mistake and that this is a good way to understand where to go from here, what path you should have taken. Um, now you're that much smarter and stronger because you can't always get everything right. So that's another way to be reinforced in the growth mindset if you're open to that reinforcement, which you need to be to maximize your potential. Yeah. Well, there's so much more freedom in it. Yeah. There's, I mean, to, to be able to build confidence, to have that freedom to not haul all this stuff around. I mean, that going back to that criticism, somebody will get a criticism, they're laid out for three weeks. Yeah. 
That's, you know, I, I love the thing. And I, I pulled the exact page up in the book. I love what she says about, let me see if I can find it real quick about the armor. I don't know if you remember that, but cloak of specialness is really an armor to make them worthy. And, and these fixed people, they, they have to be, I have to be special. I have to be more important. I have to be better. I have to be extraordinary or what's the point is the, it's an either or, right? Yeah, it pretty much. I mean, it's the label, you know, they, they, they buy into the label versus the journey. And, you know, and even if you are the best, most special, whatever, the thing that's funny, the thing that's missed is the world is changing every day. So what you're most special at today, even if you stay the most special at that for the rest of your life, it might become less and less and less valuable over time. So you you better consider the alternative if you want to actually stay special. Right. I think about what I think one of my favorite parts of the book was all the different examples she would give. And the the McEnroe example, of course, you know, just he was a nightmare. Yeah. He was a nightmare to deal with. But yeah. I think my favorite story was the Iacocca one, where he surrounded himself with people. He turned Chrysler around and then destroyed it because he surrounded himself with people that would agree with everything he said. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it, those are kind of two sides of the same coin. You know, one, people that aren't going to question you, but then also with McEnroe, especially blaming everyone else mm-hmm. for everyone and everything else for anything that might go wrong. Again, going back, both go back to the, I'm so special. It can't be me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it, I don't remember, but didn't McEnroe finally turn things around and realize what a nightmare he had been for many, many years and, yeah. and may, almost had some grief about it. I think. He's the best, in my opinion, and I think most would agree, he's the best like tennis announcer today, and he'll be on the major tournaments um, as the lead commentary guy. He's really smart, and and he's really good about it now, where I, I was watching a little bit of the early rounds of the French Open yesterday, and, and you know, something happened. Oh, somebody was questioning, just trying to get clarification on a point of, of emphasis that the umpire had had raised and and they were they were and she's a young player and they're talking about how maturely she handled it and stuff and the other announcer's like oh yeah she's a lot more mature about it than somebody else we know and you know <laughs> so they give they give him a hard time he gives himself a hard time there's that commercial on um it's i don't know it's some sort of a streaming commercial or something with serena williams and she's hitting tennis balls at aliens and things and he comes down the stairs with his food and he gets hit by a tennis ball and his food spilled over <laughs> his shirt and he like has a tantrum like he used to with an umpire and you know yells you cannot be serious and so he's, <laughs> he's kind of made it a little sticky yeah. you know cottage industry now which is good yeah i haven't seen that but that's that's great that's great well you know i think it's i i've been talking so much lately about radical responsibility and i think that plays into it that the growth mindset people are able to really take radical responsibility. Yeah, I said that. Yeah, I feel that way. Yeah, they're not making it a bad thing. They're not making it a defense mechanism. They're not 
throwing blame. Yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, when I read the book, I know I remember what I exactly what I said to you. I said, fixed mindset people are people that I call in extreme resistance to what I yes. have to offer. Yes. And it couldn't be more clear. There are people that come to the table and they are so jazzed and stoked to work with me and hear what I have to say. And you've heard me coach. I'm as direct and straight shooting as they come. And then others come in with not very often, but they'll come in with, well, no, that's not what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. It's kind of like when you get a, a naturally fixed mindset person that isn't really interested in changing and then you put them in a in a position where they're measured by metrics you know they want to they want to kind of surround themselves with the metrics and that you know it it's kind of like no matter what that says they want to protect that they're not interested in maybe the metric goes down because we're doing something over time that's going to take things in a better direction it, it, it just you know they're kind of wrapped in a cloak like you mentioned earlier of of the wrong thing, you know, it, of, of, I want to be graded and my grade always has to be over a 90 because I know a 90 means I'm worthwhile and getting an A. And, you know, if anything kind of takes away from that, it can't be valuable. And, yeah. well, you know, we might have to take a step back because we're going to do things differently. So during the conversion, there might be you know, lesser grades, quote unquote, but in the long run, you know, this improvement is what we need rather than just grading ourselves on something that is less important or, you know, not even relevant anymore. Yeah. And they, you know, fixed mindset of people just hang on so hard mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Oh, well, they've got the, the death grip on needing to prove, holding on tight, having to be right. And I, I, as you were talking about that, I, and I had never thought about this before, but it made me wonder, is this part, is this what imposter syndrome really is? Do they believe that they maybe don't, you know, it's that all or nothing. I didn't make a 90, so I'm not any good. And you're going to find out. And then I'm not worthy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're not willing to understand that the real future is in, you know, the effort and, and learning and, you know, maybe probably almost certainly learning from your mistakes. Yeah. You can easily get wrapped around the axle with, with imposter syndrome like that. Definitely. Yeah. And I would think perfectionists are more inclined to be more fixed. Yes. Yes. Because that's, you know, in their mind, it served them well, so they have to protect it. Yeah. And it's funny. um, Like when I was in school, I can't remember if I've ever told you this story or not, but I had this, um, I, I was a straight A student. And so like in sixth grade, there's a picture of seventh and eighth graders in the North Scott press. And my mom said, and it was the kids that got straight A's. And she's like, oh, you should be able to do that. You know, you, you're really smart. So it's like, yeah, I can do that. And so I, you know, made a point to do that. And so then after two years, it's like, okay, I want to just do it for the rest of my high school career. And 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 in the meantime, you know, you're kind of introduced to all these different situations. And I met this 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 guy that was a coach of mine, and he coached tennis, and he knew nothing about tennis. And but he was like the best coach I ever had. He still, I mean, 
I still, you know, I go to his house and stuff. He, he's the most interesting person I know. Like he's a Renaissance man. He, the upper levels of his house are like a museum. He goes out and he finds, you know, all kinds of Native American artifacts. And he's a great artist. And I, you know, I have like art of his in my house. And and and, and he taught art. So he he played football in college. He played um, track in college. He played rugby afterwards. And he was always the best at what he did. But he but he also was like an art major. So he's like. He did all this different stuff. And I wanted so bad to like take art from him because it would have been the best class I ever took in my life. And I was afraid to, because it's like, well, I probably can't get an A in that class. And I don't want that to screw up my perfect record. And so, you know, 40 years later, it's like, damn it, I regret not hmm. doing that. But that was, you know, my classic first best example, maybe of how a fixed mindset, like just took away an experience that I know would have been incredible. Yeah. Yeah, missed opportunity for sure. And, and I no go ahead. Like that way, it's going to be full of those kinds of missed opportunities. Oh, totally, totally. And you know, it's as you were telling that story, I was thinking about you know my son is an artist. He's a comic book designer, cool. and he did the first year of college at I won't say the name, but he did it at one school, and it was a disaster, and it was very very punitive. It was very, you did it wrong. You're terrible. You know, it was very fixed type environment. And so he switched to a different school that was very nurturing. And it was, it's much more growth. And I, I wonder if some people, well, I think that people that are fixed mindset and growth mindset, unless they've read the book, they don't even realize especially the fixed mindset people there, they tend to be more, it is your fault. They tend to be more blameful, not even realizing that they have a part. So maybe they feel like that's all there is. I mean, maybe those people thrive in a school like that. I don't know, but I know for my son, it, it was negative experience. Yeah. They, they, you know, they have a label and that's the most important thing. So they do everything in their power to protect the label. Yeah. It's got to be exhausting. Mm-hmm. It's just got to be exhausting. And I see people all the time come here and I will say that to them. They, they're holding up all these masks of needing to prove and having to get it right. And I've got to be professional and I've got to be all these things that they expect that people are expecting them to be. Yeah. And you know, the sad part is that you're right. hundred percent. It has to be exhausting. And the thing of it is, they're exhausting themselves to stay in the same place, to not yeah. get better. Yeah. So what's the return on that? Yeah. Well, and I and I love when you're when you do the groups with me, but I constantly tell the stories about when you do the groups with me. And I ask you questions like, don't you want to hear what they have to say? Isn't it okay if they don't know the answer? And of course, your answer is always, well, of course, it's okay that we I don't expect you to know everything. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is, it's like, at what point, and this is a little off topic, but at what point do you bring value? Because, you know, if I sit, you hire people to do something better than you can do it. And it's like, well, if I don't know anything about it, I can flip a coin and be right half the time. So if you can do 51%, you're better than I can do flipping a coin. Now, I expect you to be better than 51%. But I don't expect anybody to be 100% because no one's perfect and the rules always change. So, you know, just let's let's work in that area of 
how you can bring value and understand it doesn't have to be defined as perfection and you can still grow. And especially if you're not just labeling yourself, you know, as I'm the best at whatever, you know, you're going to have fun and your career is just going to get better and better and bigger and bigger. Yeah. Yeah. And do you, you tend to see that more with younger people that they feel like they are, is it, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Um, That's a great question. You know, in a stereotypical old guy way, I can say that, you know, the younger people have been told more that they're special and perfect mm-hmm. and, you know, participation trophies. And, and at some point that has to break. At some point you have to probably bring something to the marketplace that's going to be, you know, valued on your contribution rather than what somebody told you. So maybe there is kind of a metamorphosis from, you know, me being the most special because my mom told me so to I am now ready to commit to a growth um, journey. And I understand that I'm not always going to be right and I'm not perfect. And but the reward of growth and effort and maximization is better than the short term satisfaction of this label that can't it just can't stay the same because the world around everything is changing. Yeah. Yeah. And it really becomes in many, many ways, growth becomes about risk. You you mentioned Will earlier. I just marvel at him. He's not afraid to do anything. He is one student that I worked with. It didn't matter what I told, you know, I'll get, I'll get some pushback sometimes on, you want me to go in there and do what you want me to pause or you want me to, it didn't matter what I told him. It did not matter. It was blind trust. Here we go. You know what you're talking about. I'll do that. Yeah. And his, his benefit from my work speaks volumes because yeah. he was willing to do whatever I said. He, he took the risk. I'll call, yeah. I'll say that. I'll call him up. No problem. Yeah. And he, you know, he was raised that way. And again, it was accidental. Yeah. I hadn't read this book, but the thing I love most about you guys is you did all that good for him. And then however long it was a year and a half later, it's like, I want some more of that. And so he came back yeah. on his own and wanted to spend more time with you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the things that makes you one of my absolute favorite people is one of the things, there are many things, but you get, must not know very many people, Tracy. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you get, you get the value in what I do. Yeah. And you, and you did from, from really the beginning, or I, I don't think I'd still be around, but you, you really see the value of this. And it's really very much a growth fueled thing that I'm doing here. I mean, there's not a lot of fixed stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, what's the value in having a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset? I mean, it's immeasurable. It's, there's no limit. So the more we can reinforce that, the better. And I think yeah. you, again, you're doing an incredible job and there's, you know, you didn't even know that this book existed and you guys are so consistent in the way yeah. that you see opportunity and what has to be done, what journey you have to take, what trust you have to kind of exhibit to maximize that opportunity. Yeah. Well, and I think the book, I mean, I changed my life in many ways, but I think it made me a better teacher because I could now really, what I suspected was that resistance was Uh, that fixed was I need to figure out another way to get through to these people. And then all of a sudden it became crystal clear what I was up against and I could release my own grip and serve better. Yeah. 
yeah, when it's defined, it's easier to address. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, do you, do you see a blend of growth fix? Do you see people in, in all the spaces that you work in that are a blend of some of them are more fixed, some of them are more growth, some of them a blend. I think everybody's a blend, right? Isn't that what she says? We all have a little bit of both. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, and the good thing is just like the young man I referenced earlier, it's like when you can recognize that or even, you know, situationally, like you're saying, I need to do a better job of not approaching that with a fixed mindset. And it makes, mm-hmm. because you can identify it, you can overcome it. But if it's just, oh no, I'm right. Or, um, you know, I'm best and I don't want anything to disprove that, then you, you can't evolve. You know, you're just going to be stuck. Right. Well, and I think one of the worst things for the fixed mindset people is they're they're also internally beating themselves up. Oh, for sure. Constantly. They are in a constant state of never good enough. Yep. And yep. I'm not sure if that's not worse. And yes. And it's, you know, it's worse because of what the author said that I was really good at math and I let other people talk me out of it. So I missed opportunities. It's worse because I tried to protect something that I thought was a great point. I thought was more important than an experience. So, so you're just, you're just hamstringing yourself. You know, you're not living the life that you could live if you kind of look at it with an open perspective, growth mindset, let me, I'll give it my best. I'll keep getting better. I'm not afraid of anything. Um, I'm not going to let other people's labels limit me. You know, I'm going to give effort. Um, I don't want to just be praised at a point in time. I want to give effort to get to the best place I can get. Yeah. Well, and the truth of the matter is the growth people without even realizing it have something really important, which is we're generally not thinking what the fixed mindset people are thinking. Yeah, they're thinking beyond. Yeah. I'm not sitting here thinking, well, you're really screwing that up. No. Yet the fixed mindset person is so obsessed with it and so internally combustive around it. And we were never thinking that to begin with. Yeah, 100%. So it's really... It's really a book that everybody needs to read. It, it should be standard reading in like, I don't know, sixth grade, seventh, like the young man you said is seventh grade brother. Yeah, middle. Yeah, you're right. Middle school would be perfect, you know, as you're going from sixth grade to high school and you're letting everybody define who you are and um, trying to fit in. I mean, if you have this type of perspective, you know, even like, oh, I'm not good at math or I'm not athletic or I, you know. I'm not cool or I'm not whatever, you know, this can help you get over it. And again, let's reinforce effort, keep trying, um, never give up. And you'll be amazed where you could end up. I mean, you know, we talked a lot about Will, my second boy, but, you know, he was the B team kid in middle school and he went on to become an all American in athletics in college. So, you know, no one, there's (laughs) There's that one person that would have expected that, you know, if you took a vote of all the kids that might end up there, he wouldn't have got one vote, but he just, he worked harder than everyone else and, um, you know, refused to be labeled and just, you know, was praised for effort and just kept getting better and better. And like you said, you know, he didn't limit himself, whatever people told him was possible, even beyond he, he aspired to that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it, it shows. And, you know, if he was the B kid, I was the C kid. (laughs) And, and I, so I think that there's 
and I was raised very fixed. You know, I was one of those. I don't think I did math past fifth grade because you can't do math. You're not any good at that. You know, I couldn't do anything because it was such, there was such a rigidity around fixed. And it literally, I decided that wasn't the way it was going to be. I mean, even typical voice coaching, I decided that wasn't the way it was going to be. It was something more. Yeah. And I think that's the that's the key piece right there to becoming more growth is to think outside of that box. Yes. Not limit yourself. Don't let other people limit you. Don't just, you know, settle on a label. There's, you know, whatever label you settle on, again, time is going to render it less valuable, but you can go so much farther than you thought you were able to go um, if you just keep improving. Yeah. Here's a great example of that in that, um, you know, he, he was in the finance area and now he's doing a really good job in other parts of the company. And it's like, I, I, I don't want to do like a five-year plan with somebody like that or any of these guys or women that work for me because it, it, they've all surpassed whatever we could have come up with at that point in time. Let's not limit it. Let's, you know, let's just talk about ways to get better at things that are important and see where it takes you rather than say, Oh, you should be at that destination. Now that destination might only be 30% of where you really should be. Well, and I think that speaks to you as a leader, you provide that container for them to have that kind of growth. And I think that that has to be mentioned that for all the leaders listening, the value in being that kind of leader, you're giving them that space to do that. And that's because not all leaders are. Yeah. And it benefits everyone. It benefits everyone. They're happy. I'm happy. It's it's just a beautiful partnership. Yeah. And they're great. I, I, I just love working with your team. Well, and I, and I, I love working with True North. I just think there's so many wonderful things y'all are doing over there. I, I thank Chris Brand every day in my mind that he introduced us three and a half years ago. So serendipitous. I mean, we were, we were on a break and Will was with me and Jared was with me and a couple other people were with me and we're just talking to Chris about stuff. And he kind of, you know, Chris is, he just kind of looked at Will. He's like, you know, you're, you're young. Everybody you talk to is going to be so much older than you. You need more credibility in the way that you just present yourself I'm working with this person and, and he's, you know, described uh-huh. me crazy. Like she has me do like the strangest exercises, <laughs> but I do them and they're beneficial and I can't even describe them, but that could really be helpful for you. It's like, well, let's put together a group, but I don't even know that you'd ever done groups before. And it's like, you know, we'll do groups and we'll do singles and man, it's just evolved into this really oh, nice yeah. platform from our perspective. Yeah. It's really morphed into something super cool. All the, all, all the groups are modeled after this. I think it's been really powerful and effective and, I just love getting emails from people that, you know, victory emails. Oh my gosh, I had such a great, uh, such a great sales call, or I did, you know, that wasn't a conflict at all. I just walked right in there and everything was great. So it's a great partnership. You know, maybe one of the last things about a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset is an exercise you do. And it's an exercise of perception where you want people to speak in the most animated way that is ridiculous to them, you know, go over the top, you know, behave like you would never behave. And people give their example and they think they're a 15 out of 10. And when you ask everyone else who's witnessing it, you know, they're saying, oh, that was about a six. That was about a seven. So there's such a misperception of, you know, how you're being judged and what reality is that, again, 
from that fixed mindset perspective, that's just always going to keep you mm-hmm. at that six or seven maximum instead of like going down that path of where can I go beyond where anybody thought I'd be in five years. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no joy in playing small. No. You're going to have to work twice as hard to get there playing safe and small. Yeah. Because it's really not safe and small at all. Yeah. I love that exercise. I love that. Well, this has been such a great conversation. I know I'm going to have to let you go back to work. You've got a lot to do, but thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation. I know everybody's going to go get the book now. I hope they do. It will really help them. Thanks yeah. for inviting me, Tracy, and uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Any any last thoughts you want to leave everybody with other than go get the book right now? I mean, <laughs> the funny thing is it can benefit everyone. It can benefit a parent. It can benefit, you know, it, it, it's interesting because... I mean, who's the perfect person? It's people you're leading in business. It's before you have kids. It's relationship with your spouse. But, you know, geez, especially in school and maybe that middle school years to just, give, you know, give permission to have the growth mindset is really, really empowering. I guess maybe that's the final thought. It's empowering to, to not be limited by a fixed mindset. Yeah, that's it. You heard it right here. And the key word was permission. You've gotten your permission slip from Bill. So so get on it. All right, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up for today. Until I see you next time, why don't you go out there and open up a growth mindset even more than what you have already? See you next time. Thanks for listening to Captivate the Room with Tracy Goodwin. You can reach out to her at CaptivateTheRoom.com and be sure to grab The Voice Formula, a free video series that will help you start making a bigger impact with your voice today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes.